morning. Uh, my name is Derek, for those who don't know, those who do know, it's still Derek, of course. And uh, I've been part of this church for a few years, and it's a privilege to share with you today from the Word of God. And we are continuing a series about being sent. The last two weeks we've heard from John, who talked about Jesus going about his mission and reaching out beyond, reaching out to Samaritans, climbing walls, John said, how this shapes our mission, going beyond the immediate surroundings. And Jenny continued last week about the message of Jesus from Luke 4 being not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles too. And about not limiting the breadth of God's love. It's a message to open the eyes of the blind opening up to Jesus and to compassion. And this week we're looking at going even further beyond, expanding, extending. And as we do that, it gets closer to me, to you, and looking at whether that's a threat or a challenge, our response to it. And that's really what we're focusing on. Is it a threat or a challenge when we look at what Jesus is saying to us? I think it's important that we see that sequence. We have a series looking at as I've said, the last two weeks and the next two weeks are being sent. Sometimes um, a message is a one-off. Other times uh, we're following on. I was once in the church when we were on holiday somewhere. And so it was a one-off visit. Uh, nowhere near here, not even in this country. And the person who was speaking said, well, what, we're going to speak, what I'm going to speak about today follows on from what we spoke about last week. So if you weren't here last week, ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what was said last week. And I was thinking, I don't think that's the Holy Spirit's job. I think it's your job. I didn't say that, but I was thinking that. And thinking even, well, on that basis, we could go and have lunch now and ask the Holy Spirit to tell us then what's going to be said this morning. It's the same thing, really, isn't it? If it's a sequence, if it follows on, then it's important that we know what comes before and leads into what comes after. And uh, this is important, that we follow on. And what we're looking at is not just random ideas or verses. It's what Jesus is saying about being sent. We're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 9. Um, then I'm going to mention Luke chapter 9, where Jesus sends out 12 disciples. And then we're going on to look at Luke 10, where he sends out either 70 or 72, depending which manuscript you look at. In Luke 9, he, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. They've been with him, learning from him. That's what disciple means, after all, to learn from somebody. And now he sends them without him, and he gives a number of instructions. And similar instructions also come in Luke 10, which we're going to read, so we can combine them together in that way. So in Luke 10, if we look that, if we can get that on the screen, Luke 10, 1 to 12, it says this, if I can just uh, turn to it here. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals, and don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Well, we'll, uh, we'll stop at that. So Jesus here is sending out, well, as I said, there are different manuscripts. Some say 70, some say 72. We're not going to make a big thing of this. I can guarantee you'll find some Christians who will make a big thing of this, because you always do. But it's not really a big thing. In fact, I always think, I prefer to say sending out the 71, and at least I'm only one out either way. Um, it doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, there are reasons uh, in the Old Testament, in Exodus, uh, we have the 70 elders of Israel, and then there are the 70 members of the Sanhedrin, and there were thought to be 70 nations in the world as well. But if they're going two by two, then they need 140, wouldn't they? So it doesn't really matter. We, don't, we do know the names of the disciples, the 12, but as we expand and get into the 72, we don't know the names of the 72. That hasn't stopped some people having a go at listing them. Um, Hippolytus of Rome was a distinguished theologian spanning the first and second centuries, and he made a list. But he's just making a list of names. You can have a go yourself. Just throw in any name, because it doesn't matter. We don't know, and the important thing is that if we don't know, then it's not that important that we know the names. And of course, as we expand further and further, names are not going to be known. We do know the names of the disciples. When we relate this to ourselves, many of us won't be remembered by name. I'm sorry to disappoint, but it's true. You may be one of those who becomes famous, or one who becomes infamous. But most of us won't be remembered, and it doesn't matter. What does matter comes later in Luke 10, where it says, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's really the important point. So it's not the number, and it's not the names that matter. The point is about going how and why and where. And uh, we'll be coming later in the series to the end of Matthew's Gospel where go into all the world. But it keeps on being repeated. I'm always amused to hear preachers say something like, when did you last hear a sermon about something? Or we don't hear something being preached about in the churches today. <clears throat> and I always think, how do you know that? And, of course, when we hear it as Christians, when did you last hear a sermon about something? We sort of nod in a knowing way. If you're developing as a Christian, you have to develop the knowing nod <laughs> so that it looks, yeah, serious, we know. And as you're nodding, you're thinking, I have no idea when I last heard a sermon about this. I can't even remember what was preached about last week, very often. <clears throat> it's just a device preachers use to make themselves sound a little more important. Uh, 
Also, I have no idea what's being preached. Thousands of sermons are being preached around the world. I don't know what's being preached. But what we do know is go and being sent is being preached about a lot. I've heard many sermons, especially being involved in missionary circles. You hear it all the time. In fact, you get to the stage, you think, oh, not again. It's, uh, very, it's so important that we repeat this message of being sent out because that's what happens again and again. Jesus is sending people. He's sending us as well. And first he moves with his disciples. He goes through the, uh, to Galilee. He avoids Gentile areas and then he goes into area, other areas. And then he sends the 12 disciples and then he sends the 71 and it's getting bigger and it's getting closer. And we're thinking, when does it move from them to us or to me? And when I was reading this, this last week or two, I was thinking, the 72, if there are 72, how would I feel if I was number 73 on the list? The one who was uh, left out, the James Ward Prowse or the Jesse Lingard of the Apostles. Those who don't know what I'm talking about, that's the obligatory reference to the Euros. You've got to fit one in somewhere. I'll try not to do it again. So would you feel disappointed or relieved? And I was thinking, well, probably I'd feel relieved, but pretend I was disappointed, if I'm being honest. But that depends on our level of commitment. How committed are we? Are we really looking forward to the task? And it comes to these two words, which we'll come back to again. Is it a threat or is it a challenge? A challenge is a good thing. A threat isn't. To be sent, to step out. And how else can the Christian faith spread unless people go out? And I can't just be telling, saying it's got to be other people. Where do I fit into this? And most of us as Christians will agree that uh, we do need to have people going out. That's what the Bible tells us. How will people hear if nobody goes out? So what's our response? We'll pick on... Just three or four points from what Jesus is saying. He's saying a lot in these verses. So let's focus in on one or two things. And one thing is, I think, not always mentioned. We shouldn't always feel guilty that we're not responding because we should remember that many of us have already responded. Many of us, we've moved around. We've gone, hopefully, where God has directed us. So we have actually responded, many of us at different times and in different ways. And some people have been in specific missions, things like Operation Mobilization, YWAM, and so many other organizations. At a certain time in our lives, we may have done that. We don't know very often until we get to know people better. But I'm sure amongst us, there are lots of people amongst us here and who are watching on, on Zoom, on YouTube. Put it all together, lots of people have responded. So let's not do ourselves down too much. At the same time, just because we've done it doesn't mean that's over. It, can be, it should be an encouragement to think, do I do it again? After all, some of us may have responded, gone out in Jesus' name, and we survived. Okay, those who didn't survive are not here, but leaving that aside, most of us, all of us who have, are here, have survived that. So it worked. God is with us. 
So let's bear that in mind, because it helps us, I think, in our response, that God has shown that he's with us when we respond. And one of the big issues, one of the big points Jesus is making is focus. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha the prophet says to his servant Gehazi, go to this boy who needs healing, and it's urgent. And so he says to him, tuck your cloak into your belt, take my staff in your hand and run. Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. Now greetings are such an important thing in certain cultures at certain times that it's worth dwelling on this for a moment. It doesn't mean as much to most of us in Western Europe. But like in Africa, certainly, places I've lived where greetings are so important. When you meet somebody, you greet, you say, how are you, how's the family, how did you sleep, ask other questions, there's even people sort of clapping like this and crouching. And it's, a, it's a process, and it's, I think it's good, it's part of tradition, it's showing people are interested in each other. But it does take up time, because as soon as you finish, you meet somebody else, and then somebody else. We have turned that upside down in uh, Northern Europe. When we had a language school, teaching English as a foreign language in Whitby, uh, some of our students as beginners, we teach them greetings, of course. They sometimes knew them even as beginners, but we teach them to say, good morning, good afternoon, hello, hi. So they were geared up with a little bit of knowledge of how to greet, how are you, and so on. And then they'd be let loose into Whitby and meet the natives. And uh, someone will come up to them and they're waiting to say hello or good morning. Someone comes up and says, now then. And the student is thinking, now, then. They're two opposites. Now, then. When? What's he talking about? And really, it's a struggle to know it's, it's not a greeting at all for the person receiving it. And so you don't make that contact, that connection. The further north you go in Europe, go right up to the north of the Netherlands, that's where Tineke comes from, and uh, they've refined this art of greeting. So when you're walking along, you see somebody walking, or probably cycling, well, they'll probably say, huh? <laughs> it's the nearest thing to silence without actually being silent. And so that's very quick. At Je in Jesus' time and throughout Africa, it's very different. You take the time. You make the time, you take the time, you use it. And now for Jesus to say, don't do it, is a huge thing. Because what he's saying is focus. Focus on the task. When you get, as it will say, to a person's place and you go into their house, that's the time for greetings. But you've got to keep going. Are you focused? Are you committed? And focus and commitment seem to be the keys. Thinking about commitment, I was reading um, about Alfred Buxton, not that well known. He was a missionary over 100 years ago in what's now um, the Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo and in Ethiopia. He was the son-in-law of a much more well-known missionary, C.T. Studd, and he married C.T. Studd's daughter, and he was very committed. And as I still need a couple of sentences from the book about him to show what level of commitment there is. I should say before I do this, um, this is before he, just before he got married. If you are thinking, anyone who's listening is thinking of getting married or planning, 
You don't have to follow this example. I wouldn't want to be responsible for breaking up a genuine friendship like this. But this is what he did. The very evening of their marriage, that's just the night before, Alfred took Edith into his office. They read Proverbs 3 about wisdom and he put before her a document already drawn up and asked her to sign on the dotted line. And it contained words to this effect. This is the night before they're getting married. Time for a very romantic gesture. And it said this, and she had to sign it. All my married life with Alfred, I will promise never to keep him back from doing what he feels to be God's will. I would love to feel there was a reciprocal document which said all my married life with Edith, I'll promise never to keep her back, but there wasn't. But she signed it. And they led a very committed life. If you think, well, that's a little bit, sounds a bit over the top. But when you think about it, when you look at their life, it was a life of absolute commitment. And so you can admire that. I mean, I have to say, I don't know what happened on Valentine's Day in the Buxton household, but I suspect Edith's expectations weren't that high. It's, commitment expresses itself in different ways. And connected with that is when Jesus says, don't take anything with you. Uh, don't take money, don't take a purse, don't take, don't take anything. Now, later on, in uh, Luke 22, he actually says, now take your purse and your bag. So this is an evolving situation. It's not a recipe for everybody. But the, the principle is the same. How much stuff do we need? What's holding us back? Is it stuff which is holding us back? Goods, material goods? How much stuff do we need? I just recently listened to a lecture by the Archbishop of York for the Institute for Social Justice. Excellent lecture about enough. For, try to remember to put it on Slack so you can either listen to it or read it. He was walking in Spain for a month and he was advised to limit his luggage to nine kilos, a rucksack. And he did, but he got heavier and heavier, of course, as he walked along. And he was thinking, I've got three of everything. Three pairs of socks, three shirts, underwear. I only need two. And he started to discover, he was saying, what does enough look like? I'm cluttered up with things I don't need. And that's the principle which Jesus is saying. Emphasis is on trusting God to provide. God will provide, and he does. He says to his disciples and to the, the apostles, go into somebody's house and they will look after you. And that's when the time comes for greetings, they'll look after you. There is a document called the Teaching of the Apostles, which deals with this too, because people took advantage of it, and you could easily go into someone's house and then just relax and just enjoy the hospitality free of charge, if you like. And the, the teaching of the apostles says, a prophet who stays more than three days without working is a false prophet. Or who asks for money or for a meal, or maybe for a jet, so it doesn't say that. But when they ask for things, then that's a false prophet. So it seems that after three days, you can say to them, well, it's time to be moving on. It's a useful principle when the in-laws come to stay as well. But it's all about God providing for our need. He will provide. And the last point is, do we really want to go? Do we have a passion or compassion? Passion for the lost, compassion, reaching out 
to those in need around us. There's been a lot of talk about uh, the British government reducing aid uh, to overseas countries, to the poorest of the poor. Some of us have campaigned for years to get 0.7% of gross national income pledged, and now it is, it's, it's in law, but the government has decided, well, we're struggling a bit here, so the poorest of the poor will have to become a bit poorer. And I was listening to people talking about it, and somebody was asking them, some people were saying, no, it's wrong, we should continue giving to the poor, the real, really poor of the world. Others were saying, no, we've got to look after our own needs first. And I'm thinking, where's the compassion in this? And I actually thought, if somebody says, charity begins at home, I'm going to throw something heavy at the television. Next person came on, and she said, charity begins at home. If anyone has a spare TV set, <laughs> please let me know for the next few weeks. You're thinking, where's the compassion? When you see Jesus, you don't ask, where's the compassion? It's there. Go out, heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim the kingdom of God. So what is holding us back from commitment? And the irony is, what is holding us back from commitment is our commitments. Commitments to other things. We are committed to following Jesus. And anything else that gets in the way, should be moved aside. So to finish, let's bring that together. The two big words, focus and passion. Compassion. That's three words. But passion, com passion stroke compassion. That's what we want to remember. Are we fully focused on doing God's work being sent? Are we fully focused on our compassion for others? And coming back to what was, I said before, is being sent a threat or is it exciting? With the power of God within us, with the love of God overwhelming us, how can it be a threat? In sending out the 12, the 70, the 72, in sending us out, Jesus is saying, embrace the challenge. Preach the gospel. The kingdom of God is near you. Perhaps now as we come to the end, to a more of an opening up and greater opportunities, we may find we can reach out more and more. Let's do it. Let's do it in Jesus' name. And let's take it as a challenge, a good thing, because it's not a threat. It's the best thing we could possibly do. Let's just pray. Lord God, we thank you that you offer us this challenge. It's a good thing, it's the best thing, and when we look at being sent, we know that you are sending your people. What's our role in this? Let's work out what that role is. Let the Holy Spirit move through us and guide us and lead us. It'll be different for all of us, but the difference is not in the response. Our response is commitment, focus, and compassion. So let us all unite in that. Amen.